<laughs> it works. Merry Christmas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to These Go to Eleven. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. And joining me today, Santa Claus. How's it going, Santa? Did, did you hear me adding that vocal coloring? <laughs> oh, man, that do was you, great. Do, I'm, do you remember I, the time when Michael <laughs> W. Smith came out with a song called... Um, Oh, good grief. It was on the Change Your World tape. And okay. uh, it said uh, on the, the little liner notes, uh, you know, written by, performed by Michael W. Smith. And then it said, vocal coloring, Toby McKeon. <laughs> and, uh, and he was just like, yo, Smitty, let's do this. And he just like, kind of rapped, not really even rapped, just kind of shouted the words of the song over it. It was, it's so cringeworthy. I love it. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> oh, man. We got to see if we can uh, we can find that and put that in one time. Maybe that can be our opening one time. <laughs> oh, dude, that's great. Uh, all right, well, man, this is uh, this is back to back as you know, as we said in our last podcast. Which we are uh, putting in the hours for you, listener. That's right, that's right, dude. I almost feel like you remember the the Jerry Lewis marathons that they used to do on Labor Day. Can we like equate ourselves to that? Like just, you know, we're, we're going hard and, and we're doing it all for you. Except for that we're not, you know, contributing <laughs> money to a good cause in any way. but Or anything else of real significance. <laughs> we're not contributing anything to anyone. But other than that, we are exactly like. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, man. I'm That's actually great. sitting on a – I have a phone on my desk here at the church that looks just like the kind they used to uh, take those calls on. <laughs> nice. It's, one, it's, a, it's a push button, not a rotary, but it's you know the kind that sits on the desk. It's got the coiled cord. Yeah. I love using it. It's so old-timey. The big like – it's like the big block phone that's there. Nice. It's beige like they all are. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. And if you haven't forgotten, a listener from last week, uh, something's going on with Nathan right now. He's uh, <laughs> he's parts, but he's he, he hasn't had enough to drink. But I suggest maybe he's had a little too much. <laughs> Dude, it's the holidays. I am just getting into holiday cheer right now, man. Whoop de doo and dickery dock, my friend. <laughs> oh man, that's. I don't great. know why, but I just pictured you as Mister Potter. Sitting in the <laughs> behind his mahogany desk, changing it into Potterville, swindling over uh, Jimmy Stewart. There, huh? <laughs> oh, what are you talking about? All the stuff there outside my door and sung to us. Don't you remember? <laughs> That's great. All right, we got two topics, so I guess we better jump into it. Yeah, uh, real quick, we will. Uh, Mention Mission Aware again. Mission Aware. Yeah, just mention them again. Don't forget. Um, you know, at this point, you have uh, less than a week to do your holiday shopping and, uh, you know, getting something great. So you better get on it so that they can deliver it to you and you can have it under the tree and wrapped. Mission Aware. All right, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, all right. So, Zach, I feel like we, you and I are actually giddy, like we would be if we'd been doing this for like fourteen hours. <laughs> but literally, like, like we we got on Skype like a, an hour and two minutes ago. Yeah. So, like, liter- literally, it's it's so it's six twenty eight. Our time recording, we would still have two more minutes before we started our first one. Yeah, yeah, but 
hey, whatever, whatever it takes. <laughs> That's right. All right, dude. So I'm going to let you go ahead and introduce our first topic. And, All right. Uh, then we'll and go. last week I talked about, and by last week I mean several minutes ago, I was talking about how I'd had all these odd Christmas sermons, right? Yeah. And uh, I want to I want to talk about one of them, actually two of them. Okay. The first Christmas sermon I ever preached at this church, and the one that I'm going to preach this week. Both of them are weird. Not this okay. week, this year. This this, year. this okay. Christmas. Um, the first one. Zach, before, I, uh, you, before you start, can I ask you, have you started your Christmas series yet? Or are you starting it a little later? I don't do a series. Oh, you don't? Talk, okay. I, I sometimes will preach through the um, Advent readings in the lectionary. Yep. Um, I, I gen- I'm preaching through Acts right now, and uh, I, I'll often try to, you know, connect things with Christmas passages as we, you know, during that time of year. Yeah. Um, last week... It was uh, Communion Sunday, so I do a shorter communion meditation, mm-hmm. and I, I preached on a Christmas topic or a, a Christmas text, rather. And then, uh, did you tell? Could you tell that I just like talked through a burp? Yes, <laughs> that's lovely, isn't it? And then, uh, <laughs> when did I start doing that? That's really rude. Um, and then, uh, like in this coming week is our cantata, so I'll only do a short thing again, mm-hmm. and uh, so it'll be also about Christmas. But other than that, I'm just in Acts, except for on Christmas Eve. So Okay. Yeah. You know, you have to decide how pagan you want to get and how Puritan you want to get. And for <laughs> us, it's a little pagan and a little Puritan. So. <laughs> P&P, man. Exactly. Like pulpit and pen. No, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they are in favor of, like, putting people in the stocks for celebrating Christmas. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you so, so my my first Christmas year, I, I actually tell the whole story of uh, the crossing of the Delaware. Okay, it, it was so perfect in my mind because it's Chris. It's a, it happens on Christmas Eve, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's just a wonderful story. And I had I had just been watching this version of it called The Crossing with Jeff Daniels as as Washington. Okay unbelievably done well it's like a and e did it like it's like cable tv stuff but it's really well done yeah and and so you have the story of you know is it's it's winter everyone's uh you know not conscription whatever the word is they're they're being in the army is about right, to right. run up they're, Cons- they're term. conscripted right whatever the case yeah. um i think that conscripted means more or less drafted, right? Oh, these, yeah, these yeah. Volunteers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and they wanted them and needed them to re-up, and people were like, I, I don't think so. I think we're just, we're, we're losing and losing and losing, and we're, we're about done. Um, and they had, you know, this is the people's toes falling off. This is all this stuff. Yeah. And uh, they didn't have the blankets. They didn't have the ammo. They didn't. And just across the, the river in Trenton is this highly um, – guarded, you know, barricaded fortress full of Hessian troops and everything we could possibly need. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, Washington, I know you know the story, but I'm telling it for dramatic effect. Right. And uh, Washington <laughs> decides the one thing they won't expect us to do is to attack and take this stuff. And the one time they won't be ready, they'll be least ready, is after they've had a night of, you know, celebrating and drinking and feasting. And you know they think this will, and and they're they're not British, they're not as disciplined. Maybe they're meaner, but they're they have less a dog in the fight. So silently they make their way across. They march all the way. Um, they arrive as it's getting light, even though the plan was we have to attack in the dark or it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And 
somebody in this in this particular show, uh, they show this guy because they knew it was going to rain. They show this guy with a candle uh, dripping wax all over the the action on his the mechanism on his musket to keep the powder dry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, like so, so they catch these guys off guard. They come in and surround them, and before they can even form ranks, somebody draws a bead right on the uh, officer, blows him off his horse, and so he's dying. And they have to completely just okay, we're done and and surrender. And so now all of a sudden the revolution can go on. They've got boots, they've got clothes, they've got blankets, ammo, powder, everything they could need. They gather it all up, get back in their boats, and head back home uh, with all these now new uh, – they, they, only one person died, I think, or a few a few died on the, the uh, other side. No Americans were killed in the battle. So it's, it's this sneak attack story. Yep. And I said, uh, you know, it happened on Christmas Eve into Christmas morning, but on that first Christmas, that was an even greater sneak attack. That was my my gimmick, my shtick. Yeah, and the idea was, of course, that we often think of this as this very um, pleasant and soft, and you know, no crying he made kind mm-hmm. of just domestic affair. When, in the words of Kant, Christ came as a stealthy intruder under the devil's radar to take you out, and you know, this is this is really a, a attack. A, 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 it's a rescue mission, but it's an attack on. Uh, the powers of darkness, mm-hmm. and how better to slip in unnoticed than as a little baby, not yeah. born in a palace, but born in you know Nowheresville, Galilee, in the armpit of the Middle East, where nobody thought anything of the people living there. Right. Um. So, so that was kind of that. And then this this year, I'm. <laughs> yes, this is, this is the kind of thing I was sort of repenting of. My my message is called <laughs> nunchucks of the nativity. <laughs> I'm going to have a, a full pair of nunchucks, and then I'm going to have a little Ninja Turtle pair to put in the nativity in Jesus' hands. Uh, and my text is going to be that, yeah, th- that of course, the reason that Christ came was to destroy the works of the devil. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit because you know there really is a mission from the word go. You know, from yeah. from before his birth, this is already clearly established. So you tell me, what has Dutcher been doing along the lines of, of Christmas as a, a rescue mission? We'll see how well you've been listening. Yeah, so he's, he, like I said, he's done the two. So the first one was focusing on our need. So, fo- you know, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, God makes everything perfect. We We mess it up. And then, you know, kind of looking at, um, looking through the Old Testament and and looking how you know everything has been has been mucked up and and seems to be progressively getting worse and worse and worse and then you know um, he actually he did something really cool and that was that first sermon he did he left on a lower note you know and it was like look this is I mean he mentioned you know Christ comes in to rescue us from this but doesn't go into specifics. And so he, he really builds up and talks about the need we have for Christ. And so then he talks about, um, Christ coming into, um, into the earth. And so talks about the birth, talks about in the fullness of time and brings all of those things out. Um, how everything is, is ready and, and ripe for Christ to come into the world. So, 
on Sunday, the, uh, this Sunday, he's going to talk about the um, the actual salvation. So part of the rescue mission is is you know saving the saving, and so that's when he's going to talk about that piece, and then he's going to talk about um, the security and the final piece. So the final piece that will be the twenty third. Um, th- well. Yeah, my timeline's a little wonky because of when we're recording and everything, but the 23rd of December, which will actually be this Sunday, uh, when you're listening to this, will be, uh, you know, the, the salvation and, and the peace, the, the peace of security after being saved. Um, so that's how he's bringing the whole rescue mission together. So he's, he's looking at the rescue mission as a complete rescue and what does that look like from start to finish? Does he put his messages on the internet to be listened to, podcasted? Yes. yes. So uh, okay. podcasted, I don't know. I think so. I would have to look up if he's got them in like podcast form or if it's just recorded and put up on our website. It would literally take someone like three minutes a week to add the new item to the RSS feed so someone could – right. You know, Right, and the thing subscribe. is, subscribe. So when I when I was working with the church, um, probably probably about seven or eight years ago now, um, I was I was just doing a basic upload to the website. But we've got a new. Well, obviously, we've had a couple new tech guys since then, um, and so I think they are in podcast format. I just have not taken the time to look it up. But if you you're go there to, every uh, week, right? So you don't oh, need yeah. them, right? Exactly. Well, actually, now we've got um, we've got uh, like Facebook Live, and the church can go live now. So now I, you know, now I can just sleep in and turn my computer <laughs> on and watch them from home. So no, uh, aren't you afraid that's what that's going to kind of enable? <laughs> I, I worry about that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think I I think though for for those who are prone to that sort of, I mean, that's, you know, that's going to be anything like to me, I like it because that means when I'm out of town on a Sunday, I can still, I can still check in with my home church. So that's what I kind of like is that when I'm out of town, I can still check in with my home church. Um, but also, um, yeah, I think that's it. There is no also, that's why I like it. (laughs) I'm looking at this. Uh, oh, oh okay. yeah, I was going to say and also. also yeah. I know, that's right. And also. So yeah, the the and also is like if um so once a month I usually have a really um late like Saturday into Sunday morning, I can church when they moved moved an extra 15 minutes in the opposite direction. So it takes closer to a half hour and I know a lot of people are going to be like, "Oh, it's only a half hour, it's no big deal." But when you're used to driving, you know, 15 minutes to church, a half hour actually adds a lot more to your time. Um, so the once a month when I'm out later like that, it'll be nice to get up and, and I don't have to, you know, worry about getting in and missing something. So, okay. Well, I'm, I'm looking at the page here and it's, It's set up like a mobile page. It looks like an RSS feed in that it has a little graphic for every, Okay. Uh, sermon and everything. Yep. But I don't see one. Let me just tell you this. When I went ahead and I think at one point I just realized 
I'm I'm easily doing this RSS feed for the Gut Check podcast, and I put out a new sermon every week. I may as well make it uh, a feed so that people can subscribe to it in Stitcher or iTunes right. or wherever they want. And when I did that, I I mean, I didn't like. I, I don't think people in the neighborhood started listening and coming to the church. It didn't benefit the church in that way. Mm-hmm. It benefited the capital C church because I went. Uh, from having you know maybe like thirty to forty hits on each message mm-hmm. to having something like six hundred listens. Oh wow! Um, and people emailing me from all over the place. Like I, I I was depressed and I googled this passage and your sermon came up and I listened to it. Uh, but then you also have like I started listening to your sermons every week now and they really encourage me. Oh, so nice. you're, it makes your reach go out. <gasps> it, it would probably be worth looking at. I really love what the the kind of feed does for. Uh, a church because it it takes away the the whole limitation of being in one place at one time. Yeah, yeah, and and it makes it it makes it uh, it's really taking and redeeming something that's used for a lot of horrible stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and really uh, you know you can make it in Notepad the feed. It's it's so simple, and you can embed those images and everything, and yep. you know how to do it. I mean, you yeah. you, you you podcast, but. You don't need, you know, a service or anything. I think people, they get so reliant on Podbean or whatever where it does it automatically and Blogger does it automatically. Right. But if you just add that one file, and this is not good radio. I forgot we were <laughs> I forgot we were podcasting. I totally did. All of this in. Oh, this oh totally. Totally. I'm not taking any of this out. <laughs> this is just wonderful entertainment. Ho ho ho. <laughs> Let's talk about that later. Oh my, oh my gosh. gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> So I want to ask you about this. Though you said that Dutcher like summarizes his like last four sermons at the Christmas Eve service, and people will come for a summary. Oh yeah, so like so Christmas Eve, like well, he'll have like a final tie everything together. So he will he will do that. Like, but what he'll do is he'll kind of go back and and condense um, what he's been saying because again, you like we will literally. Um, double or triple what we typically have on a service. So, mm-hmm. um, so you know, in that case, there there are you know probably a good four to five hundred people who haven't heard his past his Christmas series because he does do a Christmas series. So he'll go back and he'll just he'll he'll kind of hit the the points in outline form and then have a summary. And in a finisher, a closer for everything um, that that you haven't heard. So, for those of us who have been in there and following the series, um, you know we're we know that the summary is coming. In, and for us, it's good too because you know, I mean, let's face it: by the time you get to December twenty fourth, what you heard on December third, um, you know, there there might have been a nuance that you weren't thinking about that he's reminding you of because of how he's going to close it. Uh-huh. So, okay. yeah. So, I mean, it's not like he goes through and, you know, summarizes the whole thing, but he pulls out the points that he went over that he wants you to remember and, and brings out those things. But he, he reteaches them in a way so that those who haven't heard him before think that they're just getting this one enclosed sermon. Uh, sounds like something that you'd have to be a skilled orator to pull off. 
And I'm sure uh, I wonder why Greg's fix. doing it then. Oh, <laughs> dude, I, I can't get over this, man. You set me so at ease, Nathan. I, I think I have been part of at least three to five hundred podcasting episodes and never before have I completely forgotten that I was podcasting. And maybe it's just because we've been at this for like 14 hours now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even embarrassed. That was hilarious. <laughs> I don't know what more we can say about that first topic. Can I, can I, uh, can I unruin Christmas for you, man? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's 20 minutes. That's half the podcast. So go okay. for it. <laughs> So we were talking last time about how uh, briefly about how everybody um, who, who's you know a, a biblically literate Christian knows quote unquote that that we're misrepresenting the birth of Christ mm-hmm. um, and and even though we know that we still keep putting up these same uh, you know crashes and, and nativity scenes and we say to ourselves it's okay because we know they're not right and we know everything about them is wrong. Um, and I said to you that I take great pleasure. I don't like to tear down. I like to uh, maintain the status quo. <laughs> That's what really gets me going. So uh, I, I want to read a few points from a book I have called Pope Puri. Okay. That's P-O-P-E hyphen Puri. I love this book. It's written, it's, it's trivia about the papacy and the Catholic Church in general. Um, but they have a little chapter that kind of sums up all of these, and I'm just going to read the bullet points. Okay. These, these are supposedly things that are true about Christmas that fly in the face of everything we think we know. Okay. Mary gave birth without Joseph. May have been midwives or other women present, but certainly no men there. She probably was only 14 to 16 years old. That, that actually is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, she probably gave birth in a house. The mm-hmm. Greek word for in can also be translated house. That's not true. Um, but I'll, I'll suss that out, and I'm sure you've heard it before. Yep. She didn't give birth in an animal trough or lay Jesus in one after. The word manger carried a range of meanings, many of which had nothing to do with animals, says Brett Walters, an expert on first century blah, blah, blah. There weren't any animals present. And, of course, it goes on to say that uh, it doesn't specifically mention any animals, and they weren't in a stable. Um, there are no animals mentioned in the story itself. Jesus was born in something that was translated as manger or animal trough, and the assumption is made there were animals feeding there. Even if Mary had wanted to get birth in a stable, she probably wouldn't have been able to. Hardly anyone in Bethlehem had them. <laughs> okay. Uh, the three kings weren't kings. And there were more than three of them, a lot more, and they didn't come at the birth. If there really were shepherds there, they were most likely smelly, dirty, and vulgar. So those are, you know, ways to ho, 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 wreck your Christmas. <laughs> let, me, let me start even earlier yeah. with the notion that Christmas, and tell me how often you hear this, is a pagan holiday yeah. which has been co-opted by the church in order to cover up the paganness or syncretize with it. And that the reason it's December 25th has to do with the winter solstice, which isn't on December 25th. Right. And that it's a pagan holiday by that day and that there's no way Jesus was born on December 25th. Mm-hmm. Give me a one to ten on how convinced you are that that's the case. Uh, the, the two elements. One, that it's a pagan holiday uh, primarily. And then also that it's the 25th because of this pagan holiday. Okay, so uh, so super convinced being ten, not at all convinced being one. Yeah, um, yeah I would say um, the the uh, the second one I would definitely say is a one, 
and then the the first one I would I would put um, as like a two or yeah probably around a two. Okay, so you're you're skeptical already. I like where your head's at, man. Um, so you, the impression you usually get is that it was Constantine after Rome became the official Christian or the uh, Christianity rather became the official religion of Rome, the state mm-hmm. religion. Uh, they went back and were like, what do we do with all these feasts people like? And and so there was this from on high, well, the 25th, that one will be the birth of Christ because, you know, it has you know fits. And then they did the same thing with Easter and all this stuff. But that date, September 20 or December 25, September 25 is nothing. Um, it goes back like more than 1800 years. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a guy named Hippolytus. In the late second century, so the late one hundreds, yep, who said that the Annunciation was on March twenty fifth, and the birth of Christ was on December twenty fifth, hmm. and if you want to do the you know follow the pedigree back, mm-hmm. you've got um, Hippolytus is a disciple of Irenaeus, is a disciple of Polycarp, mm-hmm. is a disciple of John the Beloved, is a disciple of Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Whose birth we're talking about. Right. So that's like three, uh, you know, following the generations of teacher and disciple, it's three generations after Christ himself already were saying, you know, John taught me and his disciples taught me that, that Christ was born on the 25th of December. Mm-hmm. So this is not covering up a pagan feast. This is before there was any Christian Rome to even like, Right. Peace, to, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. Rome was the enemy at this time. Rome was persecuting us. Rome was. We're not trying to fall in line with them and syncretize our beliefs of theirs. And and a reason that people have also said there's no way it was December 25th is because in the winter they wouldn't have their flocks out uh, like the shepherds did. They'd have them in. Right. You've heard mm-hmm. that. Yep. And that would be true, but for the fact that we're dealing with uh, a particular flock. Remember, it doesn't say that the shepherds were out watching their flocks by night, as you sometimes hear. It's watching their flock. Mm. This is the flock that would be used for, uh, from which we would draw all the, the animals that would be sacrificed in the temple. Yeah. Which when you think about the fact that these are the guys who are sent to kind of go and put their stamp of approval on the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, that takes on a whole new meaning. Right. Yep. So they're out. They're out there all year round. This yeah. is. They're always watching this flock, and so December twenty five is just fine. Um, and there's nothing pagan about it. Um, and yes, there there have been different days as we've gotten more accurate where the solstice is celebrated. And I think there's actually a couple different uh, ways of determining the solstice. But we all know the winter solstice is when December twenty first. Right. So yeah. how does that get conflated all the time? Oh, well, it's the solstice. Uh, no, it's actually not, dude. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's a very ancient date, and I wouldn't bet my salvation that Jesus was born on December 25, mm-hmm. but I am – I mean, it's more likely than any other day there is. Right. Well, have you um, – just uh, interrupt for a second there, Zach. Have you seen um, a movie called The Star of Bethlehem? No, I've heard of that. What's that about? It's really good. So it's actually – it was done by this lawyer called Rick Larson who um, he 
was getting kind of these questions in his own mind about like the star and what did it look like and, and how, how did it form and what would have drawn these wise men to uh, go and visit Christ. And, and so he was teaching a, a class in his church on essentials. And so he started digging in and doing some research. So he actually got some um, computer software to start looking at the night sky around the time that Christ was born. And he, he sets up these, these stars and the way that they're positioned and aligned and the way certain things are in the sky that might have started piquing these wise men's interests to start making the journey. And he actually proposes that Christ wasn't born on December 25th, but that the wise men arrive to the child Jesus on December 25th by some of these calculations. It's actually, it's really fascinating the work that he does and and looking at, you know, clues in scripture to, to kind of form this journey and this process of what was going on in the night sky. Could this potentially be the star and the signs that would have drawn the wise men to to have seen and, and you know, worshipped Christ? Um, it's, it's one that I highly recommend. It's, um, I mean... It's probably about eight years old now, maybe a little older than that, but um, still a really interesting, um, interesting watch. I think you'd really like it. Hmm. Now, I, I have a little bit of an issue with um, the idea that there has to be, and I know maybe this isn't saying there has to be, the, the idea that there would have been a natural phenomenon Mm-hmm. That would have, you know, it, it was uh, Kepler, I think, who first said that it must have been Jupiter and Saturn coming mm-hmm. together. And he like looked back and he said, oh, yeah, they would have been together. And then we find out later they were no closer than two like moon widths apart or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the kind of star we're dealing with seems to shine down on a particular building and appear and disappear and then reappear. So it's supernatural. Right. Well, he does He does a lot of the work on that too, showing you what's going on in the night sky. My thing is it was, it was fascinating and I always kind of look at it as a hypothesis of what could have happened um, mm-hmm. because the way he ties all this together is, um, you know, at the end of it, he's like, you know, the stars move – um, like a clock. They're absolutely precise. And so that means when God speaks the universe into existence, all of the things would have been working from the beginning of time to get to this point yeah. where they're, where they're almost going counting on. down. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that's why I think it's a would, cool thought. It's yeah. a very cool thought. Yeah, it is Especially for a Calvinist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I do, I think, I think you would enjoy it. And, and my thing is like, I think, I believe God can use any means he wants to. So if it was a completely natural means, kind of like how he points out, I think it's cool and fascinating, especially where he drives home the point at the end that, you know, God would have put this into existence at the beginning. And and like you said, it would have been counting down to this. Or if it is this supernatural phenomenon that occurs, then, um, you know, either way, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's still, God is still working and operating in his universe. And that's yeah. what's cool to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that sounds right up my alley. I, I'm going to definitely check that out. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of like the parting of the Red Sea. People are like, oh, well, you know, this happens sometimes that these easterly winds come through and blah, blah, right. blah. And it's like, well, the fact that it happened at just, just a the second. Right. It, right. And, then, and then stopped in time to, like, drown the other army. I right. mean, okay. 
<laughs> so it's a miracle of timing or it's a miracle of phenomenon. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and that, it's funny because you say that because I had a discussion with someone about the Red Sea and they were like, well, there's this place where you can cross on shallow water and, you know, that's what the Israelites did. I'm like, okay, so so let's say that's what happened. So then that means that this shallow, you know, little strip of land that has very little water to it drowned the greatest army at the time in history. <laughs> so either way, there's a miracle going on here. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It, it, trying to minimize a miracle is a fool's errand, if you ask me. Right. Either acknowledge it or say that it's nonsense. But these kind of halfway, yeah. you know, kind of explanations, <laughs> I think are silly. Yeah. Um, so so let's, let's talk about uh, – because you brought up the wise men a few times, uh, the magi. Yeah. And said that they were certainly not there uh, at the birth of Christ Mm -hmm. and that they had to have come much later. Um, I want to suggest, and I know this is outside of most people, you know, most consensus right now, that they could have been there. Mm -hmm. So, so, and granted, we have a different holiday anyway for that epiphany. So you're supposed to have the wise men slowly getting closer. Right. But if if you've got the wise men and you know like my favorite christmas movie of all time is the nativity yeah they've got they've got them arriving and yeah they have the three nid melchior caspar and belshazzar but um you know the idea that because it's two years that ago that the star appeared and because it's you know babies infants toddlers that are two years and younger that are killed mm-hmm. the assumption is the star must have appeared when when jesus was born and then they arrive when he's two and, you know, supposedly building that up is the idea that it, it says the child was there, not the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that they're in a house, not in, you know, a barn or right. whatever. And I think that all of these things are are not as cut and dry as we want to make them. Mm-hmm. You know, first of all, uh, the idea that they're in a house does match up perfectly with the picture that's painted. Now, there is an ancient tradition that Jesus was born in a cave that's the oldest one we've got, and mm. it, it's possible. But the word kataluma, which is one that this this potpourri book said could be translated house, it can't be. Um, it literally means kata means down, luma is like uh, kind of releasing. Um, the idea is kind of untying down. Um, okay. And so you 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 know how you could get to in, yeah. But there's a different word for in, like when in the Good Samaritan story, there's a different word for in, which means uh, basically receiving receiving everyone. Yeah. Um, so this word is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, go and, and, uh, you know, find the, the Kataluma where we're going to celebrate the Passover, mm. uh, the upper room, the guest chamber, the upper chamber of the house. Uh, I'm quite convinced it's the, that's the same room then, uh, that, that last supper room is the same room where 200 people are gathered and at Pentecost, yep. um, and the Holy spirit comes. And so, you know, it, it would be a place where, I mean, Joseph is not arriving with Mary already doing like Lamaze breathing and they're like right. last second. <laughs> he, they're not idiots. Right. He's got family there. They're going to go there and stay with family, right? Right. Um, probably where he stayed is in the upper room, the Cataluma of wherever, whichever relative had the biggest house, mm-hmm. right? So they're, they're sleeping there the night before Jesus is born. Then when it's time... What happens? Uh, there's not room in this upper room with right. relatives from all over, you know, the the, the known world right. uh, are, are come home to Bethlehem. We're not going to have a baby in the middle of all this. They go downstairs where you have storage, where you have um, 
the you'd, you'd store things and and where you'd keep your your animals mm-hmm. and you'd have probably carved into the wall or appended to the wall some kind of uh, food trough for those animals. And so down there they would go and gave birth to the baby. And it wasn't because she's shunned or put out and there's no innkeeper and none of this stuff. So if the, the Magi arrive and they're in a house, that's not contradicting hmm. the idea that they're still in the same place. And I have yet to hear someone give a really good timeline that includes both two years before the Magi come and time for the flight to Egypt and return mm. and makes it work. Mm. In my mind, it's less problematic uh, if the Magi comes shortly after his birth and mm. you know it, it, it fits together a lot better. Mm. And so, it, I mean, it's possible they arrived that night. Right. Probably not likely. It doesn't say that very night or anything in the text. But you know, if to have the wise men quite quite close to the the uh, main part of the nativity on Christmas Eve, like they usually are, mm-hmm. that's fine. One of them's already getting off his camel, and he's got his you know whatever. It's it, it's it's not misrepresenting anything. Is what is my point? Sure. Um, sure. I'm trying to unruin that element of now. How have I done? You do. I I think I think you're making a good case for it. I think you're making a good case for it. Now, the Eastern tradition, and of course, these guys are from the East. They're almost certainly Persians. Yeah. Um, and, and there's, a, you know, rather than Babylonian, there's there's reasons for that. Um, but I won't get into them. But these guys coming from the East, uh, the Greek Orthodox tradition is that there's a thousand of them. Hmm. Uh, not a thousand magi, but a thousand in like the retinue. Like you've got soldiers, slaves, you know, attendants. This is these guys move in style. Yeah. And when they arrive in Jerusalem, they're not like, uh, could you point us to Herod? They're right. brought to Herod because right. they've shaken up everything. Uh, and man, I, I love Persia. I love studying ancient Persia. Mm-hmm. I am just I, – I, these, these guys are amongst my favorite characters. So if it sounds like I'm puking a lot of information at you, it's just because I find them so fascinating. Yeah. You go back and you're like, how do they know all this? Well, you got a, Zor- a, a prophecy from Zoroaster himself yep. about about something related to this, and then Daniel was the head of the right. Magi, right? <laughs> yeah, and and he's going over here with seventy sevens, right? Yep. So, it stuff gets passed down. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. We know that Daniel had you know a huge influence in Babylon. I mean, he was there for for you know so many years and then you know we know we know these there for a period of time when Darius takes over in Persia and you know he's he's there advising him him and you know like so we know that there was a heavy Jewish influence or or Hebrew influence on the people of that culture yeah absolutely and and they would have the, the magi are the kind of guys who are going to absorb all of the diverse spiritual yep. wisdom and insight from whoever that they can. Yep. And they're writing it down in scrolls and putting it in with their charts and their studies. And so it just sits there and it waits and the, this countdown kind of happens, right? Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to sound uh, dispensational, but I do think we get uh, – I, I think it's it's hard to get as close as those 77s must get you. Mm-hmm. And not uh, go. Oh, I can make it work. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so that they're they're leaving at just the right time and getting there at just that moment, and it's just an awesome, awesome thing. And and, and you know you have the shepherds. It's mm-hmm. powerful to have them both there at once, even if they didn't arrive at once, because right. the shepherds are poor and lowly. 
Yeah. And under you know they can't even take part in any full way in in temple worship. Yeah. And then you've got the uh, these guys who are Gentiles, so instead of Jew, they're high and powerful instead of lowly and and powerless. Yep. And they're rich, not poor, and they're all there at once. You know. Yes. And, and if these shepherds are the ones who kind of say this, yes, this is a, a lamb worthy of sacrifice, and then wrap it, you know, in a swaddling cloth. Um, these these magi—they're not kings; they're king makers. Right. So they're here saying, "Here's gold. You're a king." And man, all of this stuff—you can't, you couldn't make it up. It yeah. perfectly fits together. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and not only that, but you have again, you know, going back to if you know you have. You have Daniel who, you know, is in teaching and training them, you know, but you also have, you know, the prophecies that are coming, you know, even before that, all the way from Genesis, you know, that there there will be uh, Judah will not be forsaken and, you know, the scepter will not depart from him. And then, you know, moving down and you have all the, the prophecies in the Psalms and then, you know, Isaiah comes on the scene and he starts making all of his prophecies. I think it was I think it was like calculated at one point that if you were to take just eight of the prophecies that pertain to Jesus and you were to try to to point at him and say he was the Messiah, it would be like taking a quarter and putting a mark on it and then filling up the entire state of Texas with quarters two feet deep and sending a person in blindfolded to find that one quarter is like the statistical probability that this is the Messiah with just like eight of the prophecies, you know? And so like it all points us to this is the one, you know, God is, you know, since the beginning of time setting up, this is my chosen one. This is my, this is the Messiah. This is the one who will save you from your sins. And it's so cool looking at all of that stuff and how God brings it all together. And it culminates in, in that birth and it's not the end of it but this is this is where the messiah steps into the world yeah and and you know those earlier prophecies they're a, they're a funnel i mean it starts yeah. with genesis 3:15 the seed of the woman yep. well yeah that's literally everyone right, uh, right then we get down to you know abraham's seed and we get down to it's going to be through the line of uh, judah yep. uh, you know Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then Judah, then, and and it goes down, you know, and and stuff like oh Bethlehem, Ephrathah. We got David's line. It's it's slowly, you know, kind of pointing us in the right direction. Yeah. I do think with those statistical things, you have to leave a little room for the possibility of, you know, if we're going to be uh, critical about it, mm-hmm. say the possibility of self fulfilling prophecy. Like there, you could say. What are the odds that someone will do all these things? Mm-hmm. Well, if they want to do them, they can probably do a lot of them. Right. Just, you know, I got to get there and do this thing because it's a prophecy. And, and you know, there is a lot of skepticism about whether, you know, why would Jesus even be born in Bethlehem other than that they wanted to show that he fulfilled this thing? We don't have any records of this exact um, call for a, a empire-wide census and now we're thinking maybe we do see some references to at least a very similar census. But as as Christians, it the more you the more you look at who could qualify as Messiah, the more overwhelming it is that anybody truly makes the cut. Right. And especially this is going to be a, a reigning king, a triumphant king, and a suffering servant, and it's going to be the same guy. Right. And they're going, how does that even work? Yeah. <laughs> now we know. Right. Right. Well, and then again, you've got you've got the you know that that specific portion. He will save his people from their sins. You know that 
there, you know, there's no human alive that can do that. Very few people have saved their people from their. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dude. All right. Let let me continue unruining Christmas and I'll do it. I'll do it quickly. All right. Likely if it is winter, if December 25 is good, we got an animal or two in the house, in the lower area. Mm -hmm. Uh, So don't throw out your, your cow and your donkey and everything from your nativity. What a sweet little thing anyway for the kids to see. It's at best uh, harmless, or at worst, it's harmless. At best, it's it's accurate. Um, then we've got uh, the notion that the shepherds were smelly, dirty, and vulgar. What? Yeah. What? the The weird thing is that they were kind of low on, uh, you know, lower rung, right? right I mean, right? Yeah. Because I was just talking about this with with Mimi today, actually. That that it's a whole nation of. Shepherds, Bedouin shepherds, yeah, uh, initially, right, and then their greatest leaders, Moses, a shepherd, David, yep. a shepherd. I mean, uh, all the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, I mean, look at look at stuff that Jacob's doing. He's he's like a husbandrist to boot, right? He's out here like mixing and matching with his flocks to make the right spots and everything. Yeah, and somehow between all that and the time when Christ is born, shepherds become this lower tier. Not trustworthy, you know. Not not welcome, and and it's so odd. Mm. Uh, and then when we think of Jesus, he immediately just owns this. I'm the good shepherd, right? So he redeems that whole notion of you know. He, he's like, let's go back to the original idea here. There's a reason that that I grabbed a group of Bedouin shepherds. Um, I guess he grabs. Never mind. He grabs Abraham when he's in the middle of a, a cosmopolitan metropolis. Here. <laughs> right. Right. Oh. But he makes of them uh, Bedouin shepherds. Yes. And, you know, there's all this pastoral language throughout the Old Testament, and then it continues into Jesus' ministry. And I know my sheep and all this stuff and and the whole sacrificial system. So, yeah, these – just like David spent his time praising God and writing, you know, psalms and, and playing music to his Lord – well, he watched his flock. There's no reason to believe these guys were anything but also quite pious, and and they couldn't go and worship God in the fullness that everyone else could. They they were under this this temple ban, but right. they could um, worship him like David did, and so yeah. I'm sure they did. Why why would we think they were vulgar? Yeah, yeah, they're vulgar in that they're common. The original meaning of that word, right? And, and that's the point, right? But they're they're not profane, right? Where does that even come from? And so I, I don't know what's left. You've got – yeah, there's no angel uh, hovering over the the quote-unquote stable, and there's probably not a quote-unquote stable or barn. But, dude, oh, the, the, the whole notion of the, the Cataluma, we, we might also then say there are, there are yes, other women present, right? Mm-hmm. Women are going to come down and help with the birth. Okay. Yeah, whittle a few more women and throw them in there. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Mary's still the most important one. Right. And uh, don't even get me started on my love for Mary. There's going to be even more rumors that I'm a closet Catholic. But what a what a great uh, example of faith, humility, and piety, yeah. that, that woman. Yeah. Well, and I think – I mean I think that's the thing. I think you know there, there are times where you know even – you know let's say – let's go back and just say you know that – that everything that you just talked about is wrong. It's like, but, 
but really it's not all wrong. That's the thing, you know, and that's the point is like, you know, I, I think as Christians, we, we have trouble just living in enjoyment of things, you know, like, uh, you know, you talked about, you know, just Mary and, and, you know, you have Christians who are like, oh, well, you know, if we get too much into Mary, then we're going to be, you know, seen as Catholics. And, you know, it's like, that's the dirty little word, the most horrible thing in the world. And it's like, well, no, they've got some things backwards and wrong. You know, I mean, there's no doubting that. But, you know, I, I've often said to me, like, I think the concept now, I think the practice, but I think the concept of the confessional is one of the greatest things ever. I think the concept of what it represents in terms of, you know, the, the, the priest forgiving you of your sins is absolutely horrible. But no, the concept of going freely going to someone and being able to confess what you've done is very scriptural. And, and we should be doing that with one another. Um, you know, and so I think, I think sometimes like we look at Catholic history and tradition and we're like, oh, we got to, you know, we throw the baby out with the bathwater, no pun intended here. But, you know, instead of just saying, well, wait a minute, scripture actually does honor Mary, you know, and so we, you know, we should have a proper amount of honor and respect for the person that God chose to bear his son. Well, and, and the the woman who is the mother of our Lord. So, right. you know, you see it from both angles. Like, right. I, I don't care. I, I'm a very kind and forgiving and gentle pastor. Mm-hmm. But if you say something real nasty about my mom, you're going to get a fist in the mouth. Right. I, I'll, I'll have to repent of it later right. um, because I'm not even going to think. And, and, you know, Jesus, who, who comes back with the sword and, and all these things, I don't think we want to be like taunting him by mocking his mother. Right. And, it, it tends to be an overcorrection in the in the Protestant Church. You know, there are, there are Protestants who don't have these hangups. They're called Lutherans, <laughs> and I think we can learn a lot from them in how they still. You know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a uh, Lutheran minister. We get together for a cigar maybe once a month, mm-hmm. and uh, I said, "Tell me, what are your views on the perpetual virginity of Mary?" Uh, because I find it an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. Luther held to it. Calvin seems to have probably held to it. I, as far as I know, he never wrote against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, well, yeah, there seems to be some biblical stuff that, that points us toward. Um, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised if she was. And, uh, you know, we kind of, in, in some of our liturgy, seem to assume that she was. And I think just because it's, associated with uh, a group that centuries back we we broke with, mm-hmm. you don't want to throw everything out. That is the Anabaptist – oh, I'm going to get in huge trouble now. But that's <laughs> – I mean, let me, let me restate that. That's the Peasants' Revolt's uh, mistake, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, smash all the stained glass windows, knock down – you know, stop celebrating Christmas – um, you know, drag the, the monk out by his tonsure and punch him in the nose. Mm. And we're like, hold on a minute. If there's something you must reject mm-hmm. because scripture condemns it. Right. And buddy, it's not a Christmas tree. If you know how to read those verses that I know you're thinking, not you, but you know, right, the, right. The, the straw fundamentalist that I'm, that I'm uh, about to light up. Um, th- then yeah, by all means, get rid of it. But we don't want to throw everything out and start over. Yeah. What, what this, these are the guys that, uh, that Spurgeon called wiseacres that think they can, there's, there's a Baptist uh, historian uh, named Shakespeare, and and he's often thought of as one of the greatest early Baptist historians. He did one of the, the real early Baptist histories, and he has this quote, 
if you if you removed all Christians from the world today and left an open Bible on a table, there would be Baptists tomorrow. <laughs> what nonsense. Yeah. We have such yeah. a rich history. And by the way, someone like Aquinas, who comes before the Reformation, right. is part of our history too. Right. You know, and so yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. What why do we have to throw this out, throw that out, yes. uh, try and poison everything? Um, and, and by the way, I have a, a, a not a good friend, but a friend who's a uh, Roman Catholic priest, and I heard him describe the confessional uh, in terms of God being the one doing the forgiving in a way that was, at the moment anyway, fairly satisfactory to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the secrecy of it and the way it was abused in the Middle Ages, you could improve on it, but these days it's done more like a counseling session anyway, not mm-hmm. you know with all the screens and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think a, a lot of this Christmas stuff, trying to poison all of these things and ruin Christmas, it comes from this latent, like overly Protestant, uh, fearful place. And yeah. uh, come on, guys, it's been 500 years now, and I think we've proven that we're not going to accidentally fall back into Rome. Right, right. So have a so have a Merry Christmas for right. crying out loud. <laughs> Merry Christmas, decorate your tree, put up your mangers. Throw some tinsel on the tree, worship your tree. Oh wait, no, no, never mind. <laughs> Light a candle or two on the tree. No, 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 no. I, I want to suggest that next year uh we take a, a at least part of a Christmas episode to deal with that whole Christmas tree nonsense. And use it as a um, kind of touch point for how you can find anything in the Bible you want. Yes. If you ignore the context. Yes. Oh, you chop down a tree and bring it inside and decorate it. Does that sound familiar, man? Uh, not in context. Not even close. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a different topic, though, for, for next Christmas. Yes. Yes. We definitely have to remember that one. That'll be, that'll be a good one. And we just be- had another idea for next Christmas. Nice. Let's talk about ho, ho, homa usias and St. <laughs> Nick, the Ridge punching Arius in the nose. Yes. Boom. Oh. Heretic went down. <laughs> so oh, I preached man. on that one Christmas too, man. And I had an email from a woman who was like, you just ruined Santa for my daughter. And I was like, <laughs> I was blown away i'm like i thought that anyone old enough to figure out that what i was talking about connected to santa wouldn't believe in santa anymore (laughs) (laughs) oh man that's great (laughs) oh goodness dude that was i've been very gabby and and kind of overwhelming and uh and uh how do you say um, a blowhard this whole episode. So, uh, um, no, it's, it's been good, man. I've, uh, I've enjoyed listening, uh, listening to the things that you've had to say. I think, I think our listeners have too, you know, like we'll, we'll find out, we'll get the emails, but you know, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was really fascinating because like you said, you know, for the past, um, I, I, I think probably, you know, at least for a good 15 to 20 years, a lot of these things have been hammering, hammered harder and harder, you know, about why you need to reject this and that and the other. And, um, you know, so I think, I think the points that you make are fair. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, our commonality that Christ has come to save us from our sins, you know, and that's, that's the thing, you know, instead of dividing over what we think, um, 
really happen. And I think, I think, you know, I think that's one of the things that we get hung up on. Like you said, the things that scripture absolutely condemns and absolutely speaks about, like, yeah, we need to be all over those things. But like, there's, there's some stuff that is kind of a little bit more vague that may have gone this way or that way. And so I think those are the things that we can, you know, just chill on and, you know, be like, Hey, you know, our focus, you know, in unification is Christ and we can have these disagreements and they can be, you know, they can be good disagreements. They can be passionate disagreements, but ultimately, you know, I mean, Christ doesn't say that people will know his, we're his disciples by our, you know, wonderful theology we have on, you know, the incarnation. It's people will know we're his disciples by the love we have for one another. Well, and the thing is, too, that that all the secondary issues about, you know, how many shepherds or wise men or where were they or when did they arrive, it all distracts from the real issue at hand, which is the fact that we need to keep saying Merry Christmas and not start (laughs) saying Happy Holidays. That makes baby Jesus cry, and frankly, it makes Mormon Jesus angry. (laughs) Keep Christ in Christmas, y'all. Hashtag keep Christmas. (laughs) I liked a couple years ago when I think it was Chris Roseboro uh, had a whole thing of uh, keep Christ in Christianity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, dude, uh, this is this has been great. I've enjoyed doing this. I can't wait till uh, till uh, next year, and we'll we'll hit the other ones hard too. We're never going to remember what we were going to talk about. I know, I know. We're we're going to circle back to the same stuff. We're going to end up recording the same podcast, and people are going to be like, uh. Didn't you just talk about this last year? Oh, yeah, but it's been a year. You guys don't remember because we don't remember. All right, man. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up and uh, sign it off here. Zach, we just rocked the Casbah. Ho, 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 ho. (laughs) These go to 11.